From Nashville, Tennessee, it's the weekly Grace Church Nashville podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Grace Church Nash and use the hashtag located in the podcast description. And now here's Lyndall Cooley with this week's message. Last week I was talking about vision. I'm not going to be very long. I'm going to try to really be short today. Um, I'm going to do this different than I did the first service. I'm speaking about vision because I think it's important to realign the vision of our church. And I think that will help you understand exactly. You know, I feel sorry for some of you sometimes because I come in here and I'm just bouncing and dancing and hollering and jumping and and going, come on, go with me. And I think sometimes you don't understand why. Um, Maybe I'm a literalist. But when I read the scriptures, when it says, praise him in the dance and the timbrel, and, and uh, well, it's right here, just it's right here, just, uh, all you have to do is go to one, Psalm 150, it's right there, it's just kind of all laid out, and I look at the Psalms as God's menu for his, for how he likes to receive the worship, that's kind of how I look at it, I don't look at it as, isn't that comforting to me, isn't it nice to have the Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, isn't that nice? I look at it more in a, in a sense of, I have a friend who has a theory, and again, I don't know that it's theology, okay, so don't anybody freak out. So I'm not preaching this as theology, but if you're a musician or a creative, listen up, it's a really interesting thought. There is nothing in the scriptures contrary to every song we've ever written. There's nothing in these passages that speak of an angel singing. There's nothing there. We wrote a hymn called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We sing it every, every Christmas, but it doesn't say they sang. It said they shouted. The cherubim and the seraphim go before the throne day and night crying, Holy, holy is the Lord. You can't find a note of music attached to any angels in the Bible. Of course, we think angels sing. She sings like an angel. I don't know where we got it from. It's a nice little fallacy, but uh, it's not here. Now, that's not a big theological thing to cross and go, well, imagine worship is in heaven. But a friend of mine had a thought, and, and again, I, I can't prove this theologically, so this is a thought, okay? He said, you know, when Lucifer took one-third of the angels, there is one passage in the Bible in Job, which Job was one of the first recorded books of the Bible, it was actually recorded and written down, most theologians say, before Genesis, Even though Genesis is the beginning book and it's in the beginning. But Job was a very, very old book. And there's a passage in Job that says the angel, the heavens sing. It talks about the heavens singing. And his thought was the heavens used to sing until Lucifer took the choir. And when Lucifer, because he's an instrument, Lucifer is an instrument. He's got timbers and pipes in his body. So he's, he's he's an instrument. So chances are the Pied Piper took the singers. Most singers I know aren't real deep anyway, right? I mean, they'll follow anything. Did did I just say that? I'm sorry. Honey, you're you're pretty. Just just sing. Don't don't talk about politics. Just sing. Just just sing. Right? Right? Isn't Isn't that the best way to do it? So he thinks that possibly Lucifer took the singers. And he also thinks, which there was a couple of puzzles I had in the scripture. When I was, um, I've always read the story of David going and getting the ark of the Lord and bringing it back to Jerusalem. And one of the pieces of that story that's the most astounding to me is the ark of the Lord was what? It was, it was literally what the presence of God hung around and hovered over throughout all the biblical history of, 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 of Israel. The ark was in the Holy of Holies. You couldn't go in but once a year. It was a certain priest who could go in who had cleansed himself and done everything right. Matter of fact, they had bells on the bottom of his garment and a rope tied around his ankle. Because if he didn't do the cleansing just right, he would fall dead in the glory. The glory of the Lord was so strong in there that he would, the sin, sin can never stand in the glory, you see. So he would fall dead and they would pull his body out. Because nobody else chanced to go in there. 
Now, you got that? You see that, how, how real that is? Now, superimpose that over David going to Obed-Edom's house, or actually not Obed-Edom's house. First, he went to the Philistine camp and took the ark back because when he became king, he said, you know, the ark of the Lord is not in the temple. They were having tabernacle meetings at the tabernacle of Shiloh. They were offering sacrifices. I don't know where they were sprinkling the blood. It was supposed to be sprinkled over the mercy seat at the ark. But the ark wasn't there for a hundred years. The Philistines came and took it away from Israel. And during that time, Saul becomes the king of Israel. And he never once says, maybe we ought to go get the ark. Now, excuse me. Can you just do a little math with me here? Is this okay to talk like this? If the ark of the Lord went before every battle and it annihilated your enemies... Don't you think in a hundred years you might miss it? (laughs) And the king comes on the throne, the first king of Israel, Saul. And Saul is so enamored with himself that he never has a thought that the priest really needs something in there to worship. Because they're doing all the religious acts but there's no glory of the Lord because the ark is not there. It's with our enemy. Sounds like the American church. Let's just do the religious stuff. Doesn't matter if God's there. But see, God is a consuming fire. And when he's there, he changes you. And friend, trust me. Don't be afraid of the change. It's glorious. It's wonderful to be changed in the presence of God. So, I thought how odd it was when David goes to get the ark. He finally brings it into Jerusalem. With much pomp and circumstance, lots of music involved. He got every singer and dancer there was. God loves pageantry. He really does. I mean, David made sure it was a big to-do. The most skilled musicians. It would be like saying, hey, we're going over to Cookville to get the presence of God. We'd get the best musicians Nashville had to offer, put them on a truck and pull them in front of it. We're going to play the ark back into the city. And the dancers were dancing before the ark. But when David crossed the threshold of Jerusalem, he does not do what he's supposed to do according to the law. He doesn't take the ark back to the tabernacle. Maybe he thought they haven't had it for a hundred years. Why would they want it now? I think knowing David, what he was thinking was, why should I bring something so precious To a people who are happy to be dead and religious. I want the presence of the Lord close to my house. Some historians believe that that David would put his harp in the window of the palace. So when the north wind blew at night, it would move the strings of the ark and wake him of of his harp. And it would remind him to get up and take his ark and go down to the presence of the Lord and sing to the Lord. He was all about singing to the Lord. Could it be that David was allowed to get close to the ark? See, remember I said the priest couldn't touch the ark. Now when David brings that tabernacle of the ark back to his tabernacle on Mount, it doesn't have the outer court or the brazen altar or none of that stuff. It has a three-pole tent. And the musicians and singers are allowed to come in around the ark. David lays under the ark and sings to the Lord. That would have killed any other priest. But God did not allow that to happen. What do you think could have been happening? Could it be that David restored singing? Could it be that he restored what had been stolen? And could it be that those of us in music... The reason we are so fought is because Lucifer is still trying to steal the praises of God. Could it be the reason when we go to church we're so stoic and we don't go by the menu? Because the enemy is still trying to steal the worship. Because this is what God wants. This is what David wrote. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him. 
in his mighty firmament. He means the heavens. Praise him for his mighty acts according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. That's loud. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals, all you pipe organ people. Praise him with crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. But yet we pick and choose that in America. Well, you know, I'm, I'm Methodist and we don't, I'm Baptist and we just didn't do that. I got a Methodist pastor here today. These Methodists started this whole thing. In Charles and Wesley meetings, Charles, Charles and, and John Wesley, they would tremble and shake under the presence of God. And Charles was writing hymns and John was preaching sermons and the glory of God would come and a great awakening came to this. Just because the Methodists are backslidden doesn't mean they hadn't don't know what it is. They've fallen away from what the word says. And they're not alone. Most churches have. Because now we're a consumer driven worship. If it's not too loud, if it's not too this, if it's not too that, why am I preaching on vision? I'm trying to bring you back to why this church is here. I came here to build a house of worship, not a house of spectators. I came here to turn loose the creativity in this city. I came here to tell professional musicians who have long since forgotten the joy of music. To come back into the temple of the Lord and play like they were created to play. I came to tell the songwriters it's time to write songs not so you can sell them, but so you can offer them to the Lord. I came to singers to say, come and sing before the Lord, not before people. And minister to the Lord and bring the glory of the Lord back to this city. That's what I came to do. I came to have that praise and worship surrounded by intercessory prayer that would open up the heavens and shake the foundations of the nation. That's why I came here. You just thought this was a church. Well, actually, that is normal church. What you think is normal church is so abnormal. This is normal. Are you preaching mad at me? Not at all. I'm just telling you that's why I'm here. Now, I'm going to say one more thing. Please don't take it wrong. But I don't know how much longer I can bear with tepid worship. I don't know how much longer I can do it. I am not your performing puppet up here. I want you to do what I'm doing. I want you to do what I'm doing. I want you to sing. Somebody says, I'm old. I don't do that. Let me say this once again. It's an old horse, but I'm going to straddle it one more time. It's football season. If you're, if you're a wild man at the, at the stadium and a pansy in the house of the Lord, your priorities are off. If you, if you go out there and worship men in tight britches, more than you'll worship Jesus, your priorities are miscued. Now, maybe it's not that for you. Maybe, and I'm not against football. Go enjoy it. That's fine. Go enjoy it. I, I don't like it. I love football season. I get a lot of shopping done, a lot of reading done, because I could care less. I, the only reason I talk about football is I, I, I talk about Bama to all the Ole Miss fans because it makes them mad. That's the only reason I do it. I'm, a, I'm more of a baseball guy. I like baseball. And that's more men in tight pants. What's the deal with men in tight pants? But I love baseball, but I'm telling you what, I will not go, go to Yankee Stadium and yell my head off and then come into the house of the Lord. Now, it should be in order. Let's, let's have order. But when I'm telling y'all it's time to dance, I want a groove moving. I want you to move your groove thing. Let's go. And if you aren't a dancer, that's fine. You can just do this. Just anything. Clap your... Look, I got folks all over this house. Larry Day, you know, Pastor Larry, he's never going to do pirouettes all the way down the aisle. It's just never going to happen. And that's okay. He's from New England. He gets a pass. Except for the church I was just at Friday night. I was at a church in Providence, Rhode Island. Whoa. They just took over a Macy's store. And the singers, the worship in the church was so loud I couldn't hear the band. The people were singing so loud. 
And somebody says, what importance does that have? Oh, it opens the heavens, friend. Why do you think the devil tries to take the music? And I'll tell you another thing. The devil can't anoint music. The anointed music is being used for the devil was called, that anointing comes from God. It's just directed the wrong direction. Just understand that. Understand that. Only God's created. We're about to see some amazing things. You just, you know, and, and I'm telling you, what, just watch what's about to happen. God's about to come down and do a beautiful thing. And I'm telling you, you may as well jump in now. Okay, just, just go ahead and get in and let's go. You know, get your pen out. Let's start writing. Let's see what God does. It's amazing what God can do when you don't want the credit. What am I supposed to do? Give my gift away? Well, you sell it the rest of the week, but you give it on Sundays. Let's do this thing. That's why this church is here. That's the number one purpose. Let me tell you one more further thing about the vision of this church. I was reading the Bible. If you've been here a while, you've heard this. But I was reading the Bible one day, and I was looking at Genesis, and I was coming through the Old Testament. I was holding my breath through Leviticus. There's a bunch of stuff there about cows and oxen and all that kind of thing. And I was going through it and I was looking at God from a perspective of a person who loves his children. And I was looking at how God would try to come near his children. And the devil would get in their ear and confuse their identity. That's why I've been preaching on it. He confused the sound of glory in their ear. And their inadequacies and their issues and their personal situations would always decay so that God did not get the reciprocation of what he was looking for from them. And what, he, what was he looking for from them? Perfection? No. Relationship. He wanted to have, I want to be their God. I want them to be my people. That's all he's ever wanted. His, his want is not that big. He just wants you. Right? So Israel, every time he'd come near, they'd slap his hand and push him away. Unless they were out of money. So the sugar daddy God complex has been around a long time. I'll serve God if I have cancer and I'm dying. I'll serve God if I'm about to lose my house. I'll serve God if everything's going south on me. But when things are good, I don't need God Right? Someday I'll get right with God before I die. But right now I'm going to sow my wild oats. That's what God's always gotten. Leftovers. When I read that, something in... Something in my spirit moved. And I found the purpose of my life. See, the purpose of my life is not to be a singer. I'm not a good singer. The purpose of my life, the vision of my life is not to be a great musician. It's one of my purposes to be a musician. It's one of my purposes to sing, but it's not my vision. My vision is to raise a people on the earth in 2019 who love Jesus, but have never had permission to turn loose in his presence. And I've never realized that we, see, in the atmosphere all week long, his name has been cursed. He's been made fun of. People who said they were Christians have turned away from him having a crisis of faith. And he's done nothing but good to those people. He can't help it that all they do is look at their navel. You want to be pitiful? Look at yourself. You're a pathetic mess without Jesus. Get your eyes off yourself for once. I mean, I look in here, I'm going to find nothing but inadequacy. I ain't even searching my heart. I'm not happy. Well, where does it say except in the Constitution you're supposed to even pursue happiness? There's nothing in here that says you're supposed to pursue happiness. They're saying that life and happiness is found in the pursuit of God. Pursue him because he is joy. He is peace. When you find him, you find everything. It's not outside of him. There is no lasting anything. 
Well, I've heard Christians try it. You don't know that they really tried it. They could have been like you. Playing church on Sunday and never picking this up Monday. They could have been like a lot of people. They could be like me. Pulling on God when I need him. But what would happen? This is my vision. And the vision of this house. What would happen if you guys came together with us on appointed times? And we turned loose our voice and our worship and our instruments and our prayer. And we laced the worship and the prayer together, not just for a night, but it became something we did all the time. Do you have any idea what kind of songs, songwriters? See, what's wrong with Nashville and the world musically right now is they've disconnected from the true source of creativity. So now they're just regurgitating old creativity. There's tons of waves of creativity in store in the heavens. And God's just saying, anybody going to come near to find it? When the church quit worshiping, the creativity started to fall. Why are we falling apart creatively? Movies, music, all of it's just regurgitation of ideas that are 20 years old. Why? Because the nation has forgotten God and we've walked away and the church has become an entertainment zone and we've not taught people to come in close to the Lord where true creativity is. And so we're just wearing ourselves out trying to create something out of these 12 tones that's new, but it's not coming until we get to the creator because the creator can download in one second mind-blowing stuff where you go how did you take that 12 notes and turn it into something else how could you do that because the creator has turned loose to creativity because he's got a people to minister to him not take from him minister to him lord i'm here here's my gift it's excellent and i want to honor gary lund One of the best bass players in this city. He's here every Sunday honoring the Lord. Just honoring the Lord. Honoring the Lord. He could do like a bunch of other guys that are in his business and stay home on Sunday and and, and go, well, I wish you to come. But he's here every Sunday almost with that bass around his neck ministering to the Lord. Listen, that's making a difference in the heavens. I'm telling you, but what would happen? If we went crazy with this idea of worship and prayer, we went off the rails with it. Somebody said, well, that's not like a local church. Well, who wrote the book on the local church? I thought the local church was supposed to avoid getting eaten by lions and preach the gospel. That's what I thought we're supposed to do. That's what the early church did. They avoided the arena and they won the lost and they ministered to the Lord. And they didn't run from stuff. Like, what pansies we've become. If it's a tough time, we just, oh, I don't know if I can make it. Read this book of Acts, this passage. The apostles go into this city. They attack them, beat them, and threaten to throw them in jail and destroy them. And they look at each other. It's Iconium. They go to Iconium and they reach, the Bible says they meet, they reached, they met much resistance. Much resistance. And do you know what their response was? Let's just stay here a long time. This looks like a good place. They were so different than us. Wherever they got resistance, they hung out. Wow. So I want to talk to you just a few more minutes about vision. Vision. You're going to perish without one. And here's what I want you to know. You're not without one. There's a vision inside of you. Is that all right? Did y'all get my heart on that one? That's why I'm here. I've got to do this. I'm 50 something years old. And I'm not going to go to my grave without doing this. And we haven't done it yet. We took a little detour and planted a church. You don't really know me, but you're about to. Because I'm about to turn the David loose on you and I'm just going to go crazy. And you're going to be embarrassed to bring your friends. Because you're going to go, that's our pastor. He's walking the aisles and worshiping the Lord and he's not looking very dignified. Oh, it, trust me. When my knees will hold up, I'm liable to turn flips. I don't really care. Because I'm desperate for him. I'm so, de- somebody says, you need all that? No, but it helps. 
Vision. Vision is, I don't remember where I quit last week, but vision is the act or the power of seeing. If you ever see it, you can do it. If you can't see it, you'll never do it. If your vision is a flickering vision where you can see it and then you can't, and you see it, you you won't do it. It's only the people who see it that do it. Jesus, not Jesus, but Heavenly Father, looked out on the void of the earth and he saw it and he said it. He saw it and he said it. Let there be light. He saw the darkness and said light. He saw the death and said life. A couple review things and won't be long here, but your purpose is, cre- is basically creating your vision. It's the pieces that come together for your vision. And your purpose was put in you and created in you when you were born. When you were born, you have a purpose. Purpose for your life was established before you were produced. Because that's the pattern. We always look at blueprints before we build. We decide that's going to be a bathroom. We know its purpose before it's ever built. The foundation is never even dug until the purpose is decided. When God caused your mother and father to come together and you were created, whether they thought it was an accident or not, it was not an accident. And at that moment life was conceived, you have a purpose. That's just the bottom line. Okay? You have one. You're not an accident. The fact that you were born means you're going to complete what you're called to do unless you quit. Okay? Now, vision means to see something coming into view as if it's already there. We said that last week. And you're perfectly designed to complete your purpose and to fulfill your vision. You're perfectly designed for it. Even your quirks, your weirdness, your strangeness, your uniqueness was all put together for your purpose. Vision is always about God. So the source of vision comes from God. But your purpose existed before you did. And vision is not private. It's not a private view of the future. It's a view of the future inspired by God. It may be hard to believe, but you really already know your vision. And to find your vision, you have to look inside. I remember when I was a boy, people would ask me when I was a teenager, what are you going to do? And y'all going to laugh your head off. I said, I want to be an architect. Don't ask me why. I was in love with buildings and structures and I just wanted to create them. And I, what's so funny is I, years, years later, but like in 1989, I was sent by a place I went to work to a company to do a day-long uh, aptitude test. It was the most life-changing thing of, I've ever been through. They put me through the ringer for all day long. And they looked at me and said, now look, there's some of this stuff you're going to do well at. There's some of this stuff's going to frustrate you because it's not your gift. I was really great at putting shapes in holes. I was good at that. And I, would, I was, re- you know what I was really bad at? They gave me columns of numbers to look at. And they say, some of these are out of sequence. Find them. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> it was the most frustrating thing. And, and, and the guy goes, I guess you're not going to be a CPA. I mean, I can't. It's like, ah! One of the things I was really good at was they put me in a dark room and they flashed a shape or a structure of some sort on the screen for two seconds and then said, look at it. They shut it off and then I was to draw what I saw. Every time I'd draw everything that was on the page, everything they showed me. When I got finished, they said, here are your aptitudes. Except for the fact that you're not good at math. You you get spatial, you understand things spatially. And you have the aptitude to be an architect. But you'd have to work on your math 
because your math is off to pull it off, but you could see the vision. You would also be great at managing hospitals. That's what I do. You'd be great at hotel management or anything to do with people. Duh. And I knew that when I was a kid. Because it kept coming out of me. I did my stint on an on assembly line. Now that's my dad. My dad could do an assembly line and do amazing. There's a rhythm to working on an assembly line. If anybody's ever done it, I'm sure you haven't. But... I was working in a furniture factory on an assembly line. And I went to work and I, there was a bunch of work piled up. And I didn't know that you paid attention to what was coming down the belt. And you did your part so it would be ready, but you didn't overdo. So I wanted to please so much. When I went in, I was a cushion stuffer and button puller. And there, was, there were cushions and, stu- and, and covers, I mean, all the way to... And they were coming down the line. And I thought, well, you know, it'd probably save a little time if I just do all these. So by two in the afternoon, my first day, I had a whole mountain of them done. And then the guy in the line in front, he said, what are you trying to do? Make us look bad? I said, well, I'm just getting the cushions ready. They're here to do. He said, no, you do them as they come down the line and look busy otherwise. I'm not a good good at that but let me say this I think I finished here and I want to start here and I'll be just a few minutes desire is a compound word de meaning of and sire meaning father desire your desires have to be fathered they your desires have to be fertilized that's what I mean by fathering they have to be fertilized And your desires are developing the way they're developing based on what's fertilizing them or who's fertilizing them. For instance, if you are a singer and the only fertilization for your gift that you get is American Idol and all these talent finds, then you're basically going to totally work in that one place and focus only there. But the fact that you've been given the gift of music or leading or standing out on stage may not mean that you're supposed to be pursuing a singing career. It may be that there's other places you're supposed to be a person who communicates with people from a stage, not always with a song. But if the only fertilization you're getting is American Idol, that's the only vision you have. Is anybody here? Whatever's fertilizing your dreams is what is the father of them. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God placed desires in us that originated in heaven. He put them in our hearts. He plans for us to live a life. When we were born, let me say it this way. He He put the plans for your life within you when you were born. They have never left you. The heart in this case is your subconscious mind. God put his plans there because he wants you to find them. And sometimes ideas come in multiples. God may put five or six things in your mind he wants you to do. Each one for a different season in life. So that no matter how old you grow, the same thoughts keep coming back and these desires never leave you. Romans eleven twenty nine. for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The specifics may change as the plan unfolds, but your vision will possess you. You don't possess a vision, it possesses you and vision comes from God. There's a lot of people in churches look for prophets to tell their future. If you're not in the church and you're an unbeliever, you may look at psychics or fortune tellers or mediums for your future. But remember this, a prophet of God can confirm your vision, but he cannot give you one because it has to come from God. 
Proverbs 1.23, turn at my rebuke, surely I will pour out my spirit on you, I will make my words known to you. That's a promise. He will make his words known to you. This is so not hard. You make it hard, the devil makes it hard. Confusing you, this is easy. You have purpose in you, born in you, and a vision from God. I'm telling you, it's there. I promise you, it's there. Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, that after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So vision is more than just an interest. One way to discern whether something is a vision from God is to determine whether you have a real desire to do it or just a passing interest. Another way is to know its true vision is do you have this perseverance regardless of what may come against you to do it. You have a perseverance. You just, you develop it. So, number one, vision is always unselfish. A vision from God is always unselfish. Its purpose is about the kingdom of God on earth, turning people to him. A vision, therefore, should always focus on helping humanity, building others up in some way. Vision is always outward. It's always about others. This means, first of all, that God will never have, have you pursue a vision at the expense of your family. Or pursuing your vision causing turmoil in your family. If it is, stop a minute, seek the Lord, do some soul searching. Because vision should always be accompanied with compassion. It's not the way to get ahead in the kingdom of God by stepping on others. To get where you're going. The way you get ahead in the kingdom of God. The way you move into your vision is to do what God has put in front of you. And then God will cause people to discover what you're doing. And promote you. That's how he works that. Vision number two. True vision will take uh, will not take the form of a building or a business. Or a lot of money. God given vision will focus on building the kingdom. Not your kingdom. Your perspective on finances should be God-centered and not self-centered anyway. But friend, know this. Vision is the only thing that's ever going to fulfill you in this life. If you don't have a God-given vision, you're never going to be fulfilled. If you don't see it, and you've got one, but if you don't have it at clear sight, you're going to always be frustrated. Because all of your ideas work toward vision that God's given you. Ecclesiastes 13, uh, 3.13 that every man should eat and drink of the good of all of his labor, it is a gift from God. Literally, God wants you to enjoy your work. Now, there is a problem. That, that's not an oxymoron. Enjoy work. Okay. It really isn't. Because all, all work becomes work. Is that right? Jonathan, when you're doing guitar work, you love, you have a passion, you love to play guitar. But there are some things where you're going, oh dear, if I have to do one more song to get this project done, I'm going to chew my arm off. It becomes work. No matter how much you love it, it becomes work. That works for me when I'm going to paint a wall. That's why we painted when we first moved in the house. And we still haven't gotten the living room and the front rooms done. Because I'm, I'm sick of looking at that green. I can see a beautiful color in there. But here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to start painting. My wife's going to do the trim in because she can do that really well. I'll slop it all over everything. I'm the roller guy. I roll. She trims. I roll. Exactly. And, and there's some point in that project where you get just past halfway done. And you realize there's still half to do. And you go, why did I do this? The green wasn't bad. It becomes work. Anybody here? God wants you to enjoy it. Going against your purpose may be personal, but it's never private. If you're not going and pursuing the purpose that God puts you in his kingdom for, you affect other people. The Bible is an interesting vernacular. He calls us the body of Christ. He got Christ the head of the church. We're the body of Christ. And there are parts of your body that, that you shouldn't, shouldn't be seen. Like your liver. If we're seeing your liver, you're in real bad trouble. Right? 
But if you didn't have your liver, you, you would have no device to filter your blood to get the toxins out of your body and you would die. In this church, there's somebody appointed to be a liver. They're filtering. It's the body of Christ. When you don't filter and do your purpose, then we're missing something. And we pay a price when you're not doing the purpose you're called to do. So let that purpose come forward, okay? Vision always requires a connection with God. A lot of people don't recognize the vision God has placed within them because they don't have a connection with God. Living out a personal relationship or out of a relationship with God is like going on a long trip without a map. You don't, you don't know where you're going or you don't have a cell phone. Go out to the, the, the west and just drive around for a while and go, you know, I think I'm going to go somewhere. All the roads look the same. There are no landmarks. It's all flat. It's all dusty. It's all dry. You get lost in a minute without a map or a cell phone. There's your connection. Same in your life. I mean, you can go along with your life bumping along the same road and going around the same mountain, but if you get the map out, the Word of God, and you get the cell phone out, prayer, and get a connection with God, then He'll direct your steps, and you'll go the right direction instead of endlessly in circles, right? Well, well, well. So let me finish up by saying, uh, if you're going to have a vision, you're probably going to have roadblocks and obstacles that come. And here are three major obstacles for... uh, in fulfilling your vision. Number one, uh, not understanding the nature of your vision. Not recognizing how much it costs. And not knowing the principles of vision. The essential nature of vision is it's specific. If somebody says, what's your vision? Well, I just want to see the kingdom of God grow. No, 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 no. More specific than that. See, mission... A mission is a general statement of purpose, while vision is a precise statement that emphasizes boundaries and definable things. The measure of the success of your vision that God assigns you to is not what others are doing. Well, I wish I could say this to the American church right now. Quit copycatting. God's got something just for you. See, dreaming is only the beginning of a vision. Instead of wishful thinking, we have to take steps to move toward it. If the dream's ever going to come out of your head and become a vision, it's going to have to have steps taken toward it. Indecisiveness it kills your vision. It also drives everybody crazy around you. If you set a destination for your life while you continue to pray about your vision, God will tell you where you need to go. It's that simple. Can I tell you some simple, simple, this is so simple. It will help you if you listen. Number one, how do I know if I'm going the right way? Simply move. Simply move and pray and the Holy Spirit will direct you. But he will never direct you until you move. It's real simple. Put it in gear. Get it out of park. Put it in drive. Pedal to the metal. When I was a boy, we used to have those cars. I bet some of you old people know about these. Do you remember those little metal cars? You'd wind them up and put them on a tabletop. And they'd come to the edge of the tabletop. They'd stop and they'd back up and keep going. But they would never... Oh, they have batteries, I think. They would never go off the edge of the table. There's a little sensor that the minute it felt like a change, it would back up and, and go another direction, right? That is truly the will of God right there. You just, you put it in gear and go somewhere. And if you're going off the edge, the Lord says, no, 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 just turn here. And he'll turn it. Well, I've done everything I know to do. Well, keep doing it. Keep doing it until he changes your direction. Right? So it's real simple. It's another thing with how do I know I'm pleasing God? That's simple too. If you get up in the morning and there's no conviction in your heart that you're doing the wrong thing, make the assumption you're doing the right thing and say, hey, good day, God. You're in a good mood. I'm in a good mood. All is well. 
and go along your day. And if the Holy Spirit wants you to do something different, he'll talk to you right here and he'll direct you a different way and he'll speak to you. If there's, if you sin against him, Holy Spirit will talk to you right here and you can correct that. But you cannot be talked to here. See, the Holy Spirit talks here. The devil talks here. Y'all, y'all need to figure that out. Devil's talking here. Holy Spirit's talking. I mean, well, I vice versa. I mean, have you, how many have ever walked with the Lord? Sam went through this a while back. How many have ever walked through the doubt if I'm even a Christian? Anybody right? Yeah. Never comes from here. It's always here. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's not going to make you doubt. So why don't you just get smarter than you have been and just go, okay, if I get up and go about my life and I love on Jesus and there's nothing wrong and he's not telling me, let me assume I, God's in a good mood. I'm in a good mood. We're all good. And let me go through my day knowing that I'm a son. I'm, I'm accepted. I'm loved. There's nothing going to go wrong with me. God's not, I'm not under the judgment of God. God's not angry with me. I'm, I'm just going to go through my day and be blessed and just bless everybody. And then if I do something stupid, the Holy Spirit will go, that was stupid. And then all I do is say, Father, sorry, I, I didn't mean to do that. I overstepped. But don't ever let what's going on here dictate your righteousness. <laughs> Hello? Almost done. Liar. Uh, no, I really am. How about this one? You were not born to do everything. You were born to meet certain needs and not every need. You know why a lot of people don't ever do anything for God? They look at all the great needs and they go, it's just too big. You look at the craziness of America and you go, oh, I don't know what we can do but pray. Oh, I love this one. Well, I guess all we can do is pray. Oh, isn't that sad? It's all gone to hell in a handbasket, so I guess all we'll do is pray. Really? No, don't let it overwhelm you. Realize that God has given you a particular part to play, play your part. Leave the rest to God. Chill out. Burn up about what you're supposed to be doing, but chill out about everything else because the, the vastness of the work, you're not called to save the world. There's another savior. His name is Jesus. You're not called to save everybody who you work with. Jesus is called to save them. You're just called to love them and just tell them about him when the, when the door opens and tell them, okay? When you have several gifts and talents, focusing on one or two of them and stir them up, just focus. If you've got a bunch, focus on a couple. If you've got a lot of talents, here's the problem. Too many talents... Too many opportunities, too many things going on, create nothing. So if you've got six talents, focus on two, do those, and see what happens. And how about this one? You are not uh, defined or deformed. (laughs) You are not defined by your past or confined by external factors. Oh, my, I only got two more and I'll be done. Oh, this is so rich. Because that is another one of our big mind lies. Well, you know, if I had this and if I had this platform and if I did this, I could do this. God never calls people with a vision to ever be hindered by what they don't have. Because God says, I gave you the vision. I'll see to it that it happens. You just need to be about it. And knowing God, he's as slow as a turtle. Is y'all's God's like mine, slow as a turtle. But he gets there right on time. He loves to keep me in that, oh God, if you don't come through, we're going belly up. And he just comes in like with his sunglasses on all chill. He goes, what you worried about? Y'all worried about something? Oh, did I hear you? Oh, honey, we got this. You ought to know me by now. I almost think God does that because he gets so frustrated with us not trusting him. Because he says, trust and obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice. He just says, trust me and do what I'm saying. It's all I really want you to do. And I think we wear him out. Like, have you ever had, like Isaac. When Isaac was little and now that he's big, nothing's changed. 
When he wants something, he just, hey, Papa, going to do that. Hey, Papa, going to do this. Hey, Papa, going to do this. I want to do this. Now, Papa, now, and I'll change the subject. And he brings it right back. Hey, Papa, want to do this? Hey, Papa. Wanna... And after a while, you're like, I'm not listening. <laughs> Why? I think we do that with God. Oh, God, I know what going to do. Oh, my God. And God comes in all chilled out. You called? <laughs> yeah, like a month ago. I got this. I got this. You, you ain't seeing my perspective. I got this right there. If we watch, watch this. And we go, oh, thank you, Jesus. I knew you'd do it all the time. Liar. You were freaking out five minutes ago. <laughs> we are all Barney Five, aren't we? Okay. Here's a Yeah. You're not, uh, see, uh, last two. God has a definite plan and purpose for your life in spite of your background or the mistakes you have made. God doesn't change his purpose for your stupid. He just stays with it. And that's another lie of the devil, right? Well, if I'm divorced, I can't do anything for God. I failed at a marriage. Well, if I didn't live perfect and didn't hit a perfect 10 on everything. I can't ever do the thing for God. God never penalizes the past for his purpose in your life. Only you, your mind and the devil do that. Okay. And finally, last one. Oh, this is my favorite, favorite. When God gives a gift to someone, he doesn't change his mind about it. Whatever God has invested in you. He wants to use it. Well, at one point in my life, I felt like God says, but I think God changed his mind. I did something wrong. God's never changed his mind. Guys, will you calm down and just trust him? He's got this. Just don't quit. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace Church, you can visit us online at gracechurchnashville.com and find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gracechurchnash. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.